Hello world. Welcome to the Daring World podcast. With your host Frank Mondoze. Welcome to the Daring World podcast with your host Frank Mondoze. This week I'm replaying an interview that was done on Facebook with Ohad Ezrahi, ISTA lead facilitator, as well as the author of the book Kadesha, a timeless tale of a love priestess. In this interview, you'll hear a bit about the book, his inspirations, and why he decided to write this book. It's a beautiful story of a woman meeting sacred sexuality which retells and recounts historical references to the art of being an ancient priestess. A time where priestesses were celebrated and venerated. Join us as we take a journey into the mystery, magic, and beauty of being a love priestess. Hello, everybody. We are here with author of Kadesha, a a tale of a love priestess, authored by none other than Ohad Ezrahi. Ohad is a lead facilitator with the International School of Temple Arts, as well as uh, a rabbi, or you were a rabbi, or you're still a rabbi. Once a rabbi, always a rabbi, but uh, yeah. (laughs) But not the story, yeah, the story Kadesha has what I've uh, I haven't read the the book yet. I apologize, but one of the things that's coming out uh, right away is the fact that there's like almost there's two stories in this. One story being a modern contemporary story of a, a young woman, and another one has to do with uh, biblical historical um, uh, reference points. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what's happening in our lives, and I believe in yours as well, is that uh, more and more people are waking up through the trainings of ISTA and uh, so forth, and they feel that they don't learn something new, but they actually start to remember something that was there all the time. There is a feeling of some souls that was like, I know this, once they give some um sexual sessions uh, massages or something like that they feel like i feel like i've been doing it all my life or i know how to do that or stuff stuff like that and the truth is now i don't know about you know souls reincarnating or not but we definitely are experiencing today uh sparks of souls that were here and knowledge that was accumulated over thousands of years uh, before the current culture and civilization took over the patriarchal civilization that cut off all the ancient knowledge. So the story of the book is actually the story of my life in many ways, just like put in different ways, in which there is something happening in the modern story, in this book, it's an American woman coming to Israel because her her mother died. It's a mother that she she hasn't been in touch with, uh, and when she starts to um, 
meet people that were in her mother's life, she's starting to be aware of sexual shamanism, which she, she didn't know about anything. She knew about shamanism a, li a little. She, she was a spiritual woman in New York. But once she's exposed to that, first all her monsters, all her demons are coming out. Um, as we know, that's happening. And, and then she starts to remember and realize things that about her soul. Now, I, I will not make a spoiler of the book, but, and, and that's why it's happening in, in both the modern and the ancient. Now, the ancient is based on years and years of like, yes, I was a rabbi. Mm -hmm. And I dedicated many years to the study of uh, the Bible and Talmud and Kabbalah, mainly Kabbalah, but you can't learn Kabbalah without actually uh, learning the other stuff as well. And um, I dedicated those years both in traditional and academic worlds. And the thing is that one of the shocking experiences for me, one of the shocking uh, realizations was when I understood what actually happened and it's documented in the Bible and in other resources uh, in the 7th century BCE, um, which is basically a monotheistic revolution, a, a bloody one, mm. a very bloody one. And the thing is that the Bible is written by the, those who won the, the war. Right. History is always written by those who won the war. So the Bible is, you know, seeing everything as a beautiful thing. You know, the righteous king that got rid of all the idol worshippers and all the blasphemy and all the uh, promiscuity of the people. But through that, you actually read, if you read it not from, from you know, without agreeing immediately with the, with the author, with a point of view, you understand like what happened there. If you realize what happened there, the Bible said that in those times in the land, what well, today is Israel, Palestine, Jordan, you know, this, the Middle East, um, in the words of the Bible, on every high hill and under every fresh blossoming tree, there was a, a temple and a temple for the goddess. And in those temples, there were all kind of offerings, um, incense offerings, and sometimes animal offerings, but also sexual offerings. And people were doing, were doing sexual rituals for fertility of themselves, fertility of the land, um, and for different reasons that we do not know why, but we can remember why, because we're doing it today. So, the weaving of the, of the book between the modern and the ancient is not just a trick, an author's trick. It's actually, from what's happening today, we are remembering what probably happened there. So I went really deep into the reality that was 2,500 years ago, more than 2,500 years ago, and felt into that, not from the eyes of those who won the war, but from the eyes of my friends, those who lost the war. You know, my, my, my friends, priestesses, I, I felt like this king actually slaughtered my, my friends, all the witches. He, he killed them. He killed all, like, basically all my community would have been 
healed by this king. So I went into that and started to feel what was the reality and did a lot of research around it from archaeological, historical aspects, like to have really like, um, to have the facts that are sometimes not in the mainstream also of the narrative that is told, um, to understand the questions of history that scholars are actually puzzled about. Who wrote this specific part of the Torah? Um, so you're the, making reference to like some specific lines in the Torah that give um, glimpses to a time before monotheism. So I think the book in the biblical uh, perspective uh, uh, side, your 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 uh, the reference point is the moment right before patriarchy comes in. Well, patriarchy came in before, but it took hundreds of years for patriarchy to actually. Uh, take over. And this is one of the pivotal points. Uh, if you understand the history of, of the East and the West, it actually took hundreds of years for patriarchy to form itself. Because, the you know, it's like uh, the politicians always want to ban the whores. But who are the clients of the whores? The politicians. Always. Yeah, so there, it's 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 been this way also in in ancient Greek in ancient Rome. Uh, the more there was a, res a restriction around temples and sexual shamanic work, the more um, brothels came. But then, so they they marginalized uh, the priestesses that were dealing with sexual rituals. They marginalized them and outlawed them. But it took hundreds of years to do that in the Western world. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of research about it in uh, regarding also the Greek world and the Roman world. It wasn't like a simple thing. So I, I was reading some reviews on the Internet, which, by the way, they're all very glowing. And one of the things that um, got me interested in doing this interview was being around somebody that was reading your book. And every time they would come out of their room, they'd be like, Frank, you're going to love this book. It's really good. It's really good. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they've mentioned in some reviews about some of the uh, hot scenes that are, are written up in this book. And they also make it clear to say that this is not a book necessarily about sex, but more spirituality and a coming of age and an expansion piece. So I don't want to mix it up, but there is, they do commend you for your writing and your imagination around the sensual um, uh, scenes. Can you maybe give us a glimpse into, paint us a picture of what these sacred sexual rights could, could even look like? Because we're talking about it, but maybe share with us, the viewers, what, we're, what it, we can imagine into. Yeah, so indeed when shame and guilt are out of the picture or before they came into the picture, you know, like, so the, so sexuality was celebrated in the main um, ritual places in Jerusalem. And we even know that King Solomon built a, a big temple for that. Wow. And basically the, the book is, the main temple that I'm dealing with in the book is the, this temple that King Solomon built and uh, was standing there for 300 years with the rituals, the sexual rituals that were taking place in. And one of the rituals that I'm, for instance, um, 
describing is a ritual of um, of uh, the new moon ritual that has to do with bleeding women. So women and moon are very synced. In ancient times, um, before electricity, and it happens also today, if you if women live in nature very uh, shortly, they start to sync their cycle with the cycle of the moon because their body is actually responding to the moon. And also they sync with each other. This is a beautiful thing that happens and it happens even today. We, we know that from communities, once they start to live together and less um, electric light, they start to bleed with a new moon. Mm. Now imagine a nation, I mean, everybody lives together and there is no electricity. So the, really the moon is like, everybody lives with the cycle of the moon. And when the new moon is coming, most of the women of the tribe, of the nation are bleeding. And there is a celebration in the temple of the goddess of giving birth to the new moon. The, the goddess is birthing the new moon, which is birthing of time also. And she's birthing it. And the celebration is a celebration of the, of the blood of the bleeding women. So people are gathering into this temple from everywhere, people who, who pilgrim to Jerusalem and, and the uh, people who live in Jerusalem. And there is a, yeah, I, I, again, I wouldn't do a spoiler, but uh, yeah. how was this ceremony uh, happening? Well, I took a lot from my imagination. I took a lot from research of what actually, like the little, hints that they left for us in um, in Kabbalah and in ancient texts that still kind of quoted something that you need to unpack. And also from rituals that we do today in our uh, communities. Uh, and of course, we don't have yet those amazing temples. So we're doing it like uh, uh, on not with the same glamour that it could be when you have like a main beautiful temple made for that and the tradition of hundreds of years of priestesses that know how to do that and they're being educated since early age to do this work. Um, so what's happening in the book is that uh, a priest, a young priest from the other temple, the temple of Yahweh, the the god of the Hebrews that kind of took over. A, a, a young priest from there is very interested in what's happening in the goddess temple uh, because he comes from a family that was worshipping both, the god and the goddess. And actually in archaeology, um, this is very known, in archaeology in Israel, uh, there were several places that um, ancient scriptures were found from our ancestors. And they, these scriptures are devoted to Yahweh, the God of God, yeah. and Astarte, and his woman, his, his Asherah, his goddess, which, so scholars, university scholars say like, you know, the ancient Hebrews actually worshipped the feminine and the masculine in union. It was only later, actually, this revolution that I'm describing is the revolution where the goddess was killed in some ways. The goddess was uh, sent to exile. And 
our nation started to believe in our Father in Heaven. Christianity took uh, is like a branch that took. From, I mean, Jesus was a Jew that, and and Paul and everybody they were Jews, and but they already were Jews five hundred years later. So they took as for granted that there is our Father in Heaven. Where is our Mother in Heaven? Right. She was there, but she was. Her temple was, uh, for King Solomon, it was simple. Of course, there's a father, there's a mother. So he's like, there's God, there's goddess. And so he built in Jerusalem two amazing temples. But then it was destroyed. And we are left only with the masculine that is afraid from the feminine. And so what, um, what I feel people have received from this book is this piece of imagining into a world that didn't get taken over by this hypo uh, hypocritical, uh, you know, uh, really uh, repressive ener energy. So, like, was that part of your inspiration for this book? Yeah, the inspiration was like, let's understand our, the world of our ancestors just before it was taken over. And this uh, revolution was, it, it was silenced in some ways. I mean, we, Jews, Christians, and of course, Muslims, everybody, I mean, all the world was taken by this little revolution that was happening in, in the land of Israel 2,500 years ago. From that, the history of the world changed, and we are oblivion about it. It was, it kind of drove me crazy. It's like, people need to know what happened. And to know not only theoretically, but to feel that. And that's why I went myself into the feeling. And, you know, I, I, I wrote six books, nonfiction before, uh, on Kabbalah and psychology and uh, depth psychology and Jungian psychology and Kabbalah and all these kind of things. And at a certain point, I felt like I don't want to write more teachings. I want to feel that. I want to give the feeling. Mm. And... Uh, and I really dove into the characters. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do that. It takes you on a deep journey of feeling what it is. Um, and the connection between times, also the book somehow collapsed time. Um, time is not completely linear in shamanic worlds. Yeah, so I feel like that's brilliant because I've I could already sense and feel your artist, your 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 musician, your the person that brings out his poetry. So if you are able to channel that same beauty that you have in music and poetry and in discourse into your work, I could only imagine uh, how beautiful uh, that uh, it, it must all be. Thank you, Simon. Um, you're welcome. This, I want to end on this one topic. Like I was reading your um, your write up about yourself, your bio, and it says you know you started as a rabbi at 20 years old, and all your studies brought you to two points, to understanding two points in your studies. Number one, the sacredness of sexuality and how twisted um, how twisted it was by the power structure, and number two, uh, I'll, I'll quote it. It says. Um, the historical conspiracies that were documented in the scripture, yet 
completely unspoken that led to the creation of this, uh, the three Abrahamic religions. So you uh, have drilled down into the scriptures and found some pieces uh, that are often not spoken, but really in the text. Can you speak a bit about this with us? Yeah, the thing is that it's not only me, it's known in academy. That's the, that's the funny thing. Uh, everything that I wrote is well known in academic research world, but it's unspoken. And the thing is that um, at that time, they renovated the, the Yahweh temple and they found, it says like that the high priest came to the king with a book of Moses. And this, and, and so like, wow, look what we found. We found it in the temple, a, a book of the Torah, a book of the scriptures of Moses. And we didn't know about that. And please read. And the, the, the king reads it. And, and in this book, that's the only place that it says, you should destroy the temples of the goddess. You should destroy every other worship except of mine. It, it's not written in the others. Um, and then the kings are like, okay, sorry, I did, we didn't know. And then he goes and he destroys everything. And this, <coughs> this became part of the Torah. Uh, in, in Academy, they say this is the fifth book. It's not like several verses. It's a fifth of the five books of Moses. Mm -hmm. To be in general, it's the fifth book. Um, of, in Hebrew, it's called Dvarim, uh, the fifth book of Moses. And that's the, the, the Zillet book, the book that is um, for Jews today or for Christians or for Muslims, this is part of the sacred scriptures. But who wrote this book? So academic scholars always say, said it for, for a long time, this book is different in its style, in its vocabulary. It was written not much before it was found. It was written by a group of people that had an intention and an agenda that is different, and they wanted to create a revolution. So, and this is a co complete conspiracy that happened back then. So uh, the full picture is that there was, a, there was a king that his name was Amon, he was murdered. And his, he, had, he was murdered when he had, a, his son was eight years old. And who murdered him and why it's not, it doesn't say. Like his servants murdered him. That's it. Then they take his son, eight years old, and they make him king. And when there is an eight years old boy uh, as the, the king of a country, you, you understand who's actually the king. There's someone behind this man, behind this boy. So if you dig a little bit, you don't need to dig much. There is a character, He's, his name is there, his name is Shafan. Um, Shafan is a, is a speci specific rodent in, that lives in Israel. Uh, but this is the name of this guy. Uh, he was the scholar, he was the scribe, he was the wise man. And he educated the young boy according to him. Mm. I mean, he actually caught the... In, in my, and here's my, my take on that, and this is something you can only do in, in, a, in a fiction book. My take is that Shafan's hands were actually in the murder as well. Mm. Cooking the murder of the king behind the scenes, taking the little boy, 
educating him until he's in full power when he's 24, then creating this conspiracy that the book will be found and the book will say what he wants to, that will be said and boom, uh, a revolution is happening. And this, so this guy, Shafan, that we know he existed, you know, he's documented in the Bible, but also they found the seal of the, of the ring of his son that was found in Jerusalem in excavations. Um, so he, this guy is basically standing behind monotheism as we know it, the three Abrahamic religions. There is a conspiracy that there's one man that wow. changed the history of the world and no one knows about him unless you're a scholar in academy or you know, even though he didn't hide himself, but he didn't put himself so much in the front. He wanted things to happen more than his name to be remembered, but he's, doc he's well documented. So I felt like, wow, this conspiracy, it's, it's unbelievable when you understand. We were, we were all captured under this. It's like, you know, in Iran, when the, when the, 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 the um, uh, extremists took the country. And now if they write history, rewrite history, after generation, one, two, three generations, no one knows. Yes, forgot, absolutely. And that's what happened to us. And I feel like, you know, by writing this book and exposing the hidden truths in it, I know that many people, uh, it's not only that they, you know, they said, yeah, this book is like, uh, you know, it's an arousing and it's like very sexy and very beautiful, but it's also, it kind of shook them in the historical, it was like of understanding what happened and how we all were like blindly taken by those who wrote history for us. Uh, but thank God there's little bits of, of hints that we can um, complete the picture. Yeah, and multiple people have, sorry, mm -hmm. multiple people have, made mention to the fact that this book almost rewrites history and by you know uh, delving into the beauty of these ideas and and capturing um those messages of love and hope and whatnot that it actually is rewriting history other people have said that this is a, pio a pioneering piece uh for enlightenment uh conversations around um new ways of relating uh, they make reference to life, uh, the way we're currently living it as a, a conscious prison, a conscious jail, and how this book is uh, a glimpse and doorway into freedom. So I think like you have accomplished your mission of bringing some consciousness uh, to that, uh, that shift moment, and you do it with expert uh, artistry. Thank you. I feel like now I can die, but I'm actually right. <laughs> completed my mission. But um, I'm actually writing. It's it's the first of a trilogy. Okay. Yeah, and I'm in the in the middle of writing the second one, which is more dark. Uh, you know, this the first one, Kadesha, is um, kind of classic beauty of history. There's a lot of classic beauty. The second one will deal with a lot of darkness. 18th century Poland. Uh, a specific mystical cult that was dealing with uh, as, as well as Kabbalistic and, and sexuality. Um, I want to capture several moments in history that are unknown and 
and to really go into that. But as you said, since I went into the story, so I gave a lot of teachings also uh, in it. It's not only a historical book, but for instance, quite in the beginning of the book, there is a, there is a conflict because there is a, someone is trying to rape uh, one of the priestesses. One of the pilgrims is trying to rape one of the priestesses. And the question rises in the temple, how do you deal with that? And do you fight back? And the high priestess is giving her teachings of how to deal with these situations, not from masculine power, but from the feminine power that actually will melt and did melt, the, actually re rescued this priestess and created the situation that the, the, the rapist just like couldn't, did, couldn't stay there. He just had to run away, not because she fought with him with power to power, but actually she brought the power of love. And with this, he, he, he lost, he lost it. So uh, there's a lot of teachings uh, in the ancient time and in the modern time, because in the modern time, um, describing what's happening with Tara, this woman, um, and Yoni, uh, <laughs> Yoni is a name, a very common name in Israel for, for men. It's a Jonathan, Joni, like in, in Hebrew, it's Yoni. And of course I played with the double meaning of Yoni. Um, so there is a, a, a sexual shaman, his name is Yoni and he's taking Tara into her initiation and he's married to Hagar, who is also a sexual shaman and Tara and Hagar and Yoni are going into a uh, triad of relationships of uh, polyamorous or open love relationships and they're dealing with jealousy, they're dealing with everything that comes up and how to live love not from a place of restriction and not from a place of uh, ownership and not from a place of uh, um, scarcity mm. but, but with a devotion to depth uh, and they're doing ceremonies themselves um, and uh, so there's a lot of how to do also in the book. Like, by the way, there's like a lot of teachings and a lot of, a lot of how to, how to wow. even how to give Yoni massage because wow. yeah, giving Yoni massage to Tara. And I describe really like step by step how he's doing that. So, you know, people, I know people who read this book several times actually. And like, you know, the second time they started to mark with a marker and took a lot of notes of, you know, how to do stuff. And yeah, this is not a, a short book. I read it. I think it's like close to 600 pages, this book. Yeah. 500 and something. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure you have a lot of, like, I, it feels really full and uh, definitely I suggest if you haven't, if you don't know how Ohad, do some research on him. He puts out some really great videos on some really great topics um, you could find the book on uh, Amazon.com. And so if people are interested in knowing more about, you know, the workshops you're giving or the trainings you're giving, where, where should they follow you? Well, of course, in the School of Temple Arts uh, in ISTA, most of the work that I'm doing today uh, is through ISTA. There's also work that I'm, if I have time between trainings, I'm doing also other work. Uh, like um, actually giving uh, sexual shamanic tools we're going to do with my wife, Dawn. Um, we call it uh, the sexual shamanic medicine bag. Uh, mm -hmm. Like really tools of how to, how to work 
especially for people who already did ISTA and you know went through the initiation, it's like, okay, now what do we do with that? So there's all kind of tools that uh, you can utilize in your life to work with um, to work with yourself, with traumas, to work as an oracle, like things that came from ancient temples as well. And we're going to give this in Greece in uh, in June yeah. uh, for um, a selected group of people. Uh, so this would be on my website. Uh, it's called Kabbalah, K-A-B-A-L-O-V-E dot O-R-G. Um, and maybe you can put links also. Yeah. But yeah. Very much. Thank you, Ohad, for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate what you've done for the field, especially the foundational piece of the, the tribe you have in, in Israel, which is uh, inspiring to the rest of the world and the rest of the field. So we know you've really worked that space uh, tremendously. And uh, yeah, the field thanks you. I thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you so much. And yeah, if people read the book, please give the, you know, uh, messages and put, uh, how do you say it? Uh, readers review on Amazon. It, uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank so you. Check that out. The book is Kadesha, A Timeless Tale of a Love Priestess. With yours truly, Ohad Ezrahi. Thank you very much. And um, peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. You're welcome. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. It was certainly very interesting for me to hear about this story and an honor again to interview this mystical man and his amazing imagination. Head on over to Amazon.com and get your copy of Kadesha, A Timeless Tale of a Love Priestess. Remember, you can check out all my upcoming events and projects on frankmondose.com. Until next time, remember, let love free. It's the only way we're ever going to change 